0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 28, The Chemistry of Calm. Over the last few episodes, Arden and I have been chatting a bit about the idea of calm. So, we thought in addition to us chatting about the topic, uh, it'd be helpful to bring in an expert who studies it. So, today I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast Henry Emmons. Henry is a clinical psychiatrist, very intimidating, and the author of two books, The Chemistry of Calm and The Chemistry of Joy. He tells me he's a a psychiatrist, not a chemist. Uh, He specializes in treating things like anxiety through more holistic means. And this is what I actually loved uh, so much about his book, The Chemistry of Calm, which if you're listening to this, go out. And buy the book, you know, hop over to uh, maybe your local booksellers delivering maybe you want you know maybe whatever format you want, whatever you so desire, I highly recommend it um, and what I love about it is it doesn 't just focus on what medication you should be on if you feel feel restless. Uh, it talks about everything from food to exercise and sleep and caffeine, uh, even supplements and meditation, um, and about the ways and about how the ways in which we live. Uh, affect uh, how calm we feel every day. So, welcome, Henry Ammons, to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to have you. Uh, th- this is like a therapy uh, session for for me, at least. You know, we're going through a, a pretty pretty. It's it's it, honestly, this podcast is a way of of me getting free uh, therapy. Uh, but but laying the groundwork. You know, we're going through a pretty. Um, pretty anxious period uh, in our in our world's history right now. How are you feeling right now? How are you holding up? Well you know I'm actually faring
1: quite well. I, I live in Minnesota which I think Minnesota. Has responded, yeah responded rather similarly to I think how you're doing things in Canada and we've yeah. we've managed to socially distance ourselves although some people argue that's our normal way of life rather than uh, something all that different yeah but we've managed to slow things down enough that i think you know most people are feeling pretty comfortable Um,
0: that's good yeah so doing okay that's good so the the chemistry of calm uh it's a book about anxiety as as much of it as it is a book about calm Uh, I'm curious, you know, especially, you know, even in this socially distanced world, many of us, uh, even if things are going okay, we're feeling a bit anxious right now. I'm curious how you personally view the relationship between these two ideas of, of calm and anxiety. Would you say that calm and anxiety are two sides of the same coin are they uh the inverse of one another is calm the absence of anxiety what what essentially what is uh anxiety what is calm right well i i like
1: to distinguish between um what's what might be considered normal anxiety or normal stress or fear and then what's more likely to cause problems or become pathological and, and I, I think right mm-hmm. now at this time of coronavirus it's important to say that it's really normal to feel some stress or anxiety that's that's not not in any way anything pathological but
0: so if I'm feeling anxious right now it's not something wrong with me it's not <laughs> something.
1: No, not at all. And But I think there's a paradox here, which is that it is possible to experience this as a stressful time and yet um, do so in a way where you're still relatively calm or you have some degree of equanimity, you know, that, that you can still see what's going on, you can face it, you can deal with it in a way that um, is not dominated by fear or anxiety, even though it is a, a time where it's normal to feel a little bit of fear or stress. Hmm. So what what is calm? So calm to me is, and, and back to that question, is it just the inverse of, of anxiety or fear? I actually consider calm to be much more of our natural state. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, that, that if we were to allow ourselves to, to live in the way that we're really designed in a, a way that's really closer to nature. I think that we would experience calm by far the majority of the time. Um, and, and again, right. calm does not mean that there's never any sense of fear or stress. It's really normal to be able to feel fear when something is threatening, but to do so still in a way that you can, you can, Face that threat um, as calmly and evenly as you can and make make really good decisions even in the face of
0: that that that's fascinating how you think calm is our natural state you know we, we if you look at how kind of we're reacting right now we're surrounded by so much news which you know we didn't necessarily evolve in the wilderness to to have news hosts screaming at us or constantly refreshing news updates or even a news paper arrive at at our doorstep every morning and so we i, I guess you know reading between the lines we're kind of finding ourselves in a situation where our biology is a bit mismatched to um, the current anxious state of the world. Um, and, but you know, since everybody has a different life, everybody's kind of reacting to this differently. Uh, what would you say on the whole uh, we're doing right and wrong when it comes to our tendencies to respond to a situation like this?
1: Well, I think it's useful to remember that the human mind is made to see what's wrong. It, it, mm. It's kind of geared toward the negative a little bit or toward, you know, looking for threat, being a little more on the vigilant end of things. And I, I really believe that we are designed that way uh, because of the need to survive. You know, it's, it's evolution, really. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we historically there have been a lot of threats and actually this is one of them this coronavirus is a real threat and so so kind of being vigilant and on guard is the normal natural healthy thing to do to some extent yeah but but i also think you know that um it is a mistake i believe to be feeding ourselves a constant stream of fearful images and um horrifying statistics and, you know, just all of the, the things that unfortunately does sell news, newscasts, but yeah. it, um, you know, if, if, if it's too much, if you're doing it too much of the time, it's like very much like eating a, a diet where you're just eating too much junk food. And even though you like it and it's okay to, you know, to have it once in a while, it throws you off balance. And I, I yeah. do think that a lot of us right now need to be careful about keeping that balance. So I, I'm not someone who believes that we should put our head in the sand and not pay any attention to what's going on out there. But at the same time, how much do we really need to to keep feeding ourselves over the course of a day?
0: Yeah. So you're, you're still practicing from what I understand clinically throughout this crisis Um, what, what little changes are you seeing people make with regard to, uh, how they respond to this situation that are helping them out? Great question. I, you know, I've, I've actually been... And would you be able to give the names of those? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Names and numbers. Yeah. Um, You know,
1: I've actually been surprised a bit at how well it, it seems that people are coping in general. Um, and that's not universally true. And that doesn't mean that someone who is really struggling or feeling, you know, really strongly anxious that there's anything wrong with them for feeling that way. But, but by and large, it feels like, like people have, have adapted and taken this in stride much more than I expected that they would. So I think that there's something about people's, uh, flexibility, adaptability, uh, resilience. You know, you look at how dramatic the world has changed and how our lifestyles have changed. You would think we would all be freaking out, but but by and large, I think that people are kind of rolling with it and accepting that we have to make some of these changes right now. Now, long term, you know, people are not going to want to socially distance or yeah. you know give up their their jobs and careers, of course. But still, it's pretty impressive to me how well the majority of people have, have surrendered to this and, mm-hmm. and been flexible and adaptable.
0: Do you think flexibility is the key here so that it's more of a mental shift that we need to make? Or do you think it's more of a tactical shift that we need to make in terms of not checking the news as often, for example? Great,
1: great question. I I think it's both, but I actually do believe that um, whether it's coronavirus or really any other huge stressor in your life, the capacity to be flexible, to um, to accept what's going on and um, and not fight it, not resist it too much, Mm -hmm. I think it's an incredible asset. And it's to me that's something that we can be. Maybe taking from this uh, this entire experience that, you know, our ability to accept what is to see see really really see honestly what is, uh, to accept that that's simply what is happening, and then be able to to move from there and make our decisions and make our life changes. It gives people so much more inner
0: power to be
1: able to address something.
0: So this flexibility. That you mentioned, you know, the you you mentioned the word equanimity uh, off the top of the podcast too. Uh, One topic that comes to mind that you write a little bit about in the book is meditation. You know, and so as a clinical psychiatrist, people might think, "What's this? What's this fella talking about? This hippy dippy idea uh, of meditation?" (laughs) You know, this you know because it calls to mind a lot of different. Um, it, it, mental images for people. But uh, as listeners to the podcast know, it's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast in order uh, for if, if getting through more anxious periods and just simply coming to terms with how things change. Uh, how, how do you find yourself practicing meditation in order to experience calm in a time like this?
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, when I first started using meditation in my clinical practice this was a long time ago It was in the early 1990s a lot of people viewed it as a hippy dippy idea including you know a lot of my colleagues Um, i was really drawn to it from a you know very early stage and and immediately uh, realized how incredibly helpful it was for people Mm. so you know to me you know i i'm I guess I'm a scientific consumer as a as a physician, a psychiatrist, a clinician. I, I, I'm not a scientist myself, but I really do appreciate it. And so I I could see very early on, and then have followed the research over the years, at how incredibly valuable meditation is as a self care practice. Mm. And, you know, there's very few things that people can do for themselves that have the kind of almost universal helping capacity that meditation can have. And, you know, what what I like to tell people is that it's not my interest necessarily that you become a really good meditator, that you're 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 able to. sit cross-legged for a half hour completely at peace that's not the goal to me Mm. the goal is really that you you find a skill that you can hone you can get better and better at that allows you to let your mind calm itself just enough that you can apply that skill that ability towards your inner life your emotions your thoughts your reactions to things because it gives you so much more capacity to respond to things effectively and with a a little bit of equanimity. So yeah, it's just a, it's an incredibly helpful thing. Now it's, it's rather difficult to just start meditating when you're in the middle of a crisis.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of thoughts flying around. (laughs) <laughs> right, you know, and so it,
1: if you've never done it, that doesn't mean you shouldn't start now, but just yeah. remember that it takes a little time. Uh, it, it's like any skill, you've got to put a little effort into it ahead of you know early on so that you you develop the, the abilities, the techniques to be able to use it effectively. But it really is a, it's just a smart thing to add to your repertoire. Of Of good self care um, abilities
0: yeah one, one one more thing to have in the in the toolkit, so to speak like it's it's kind of a, a kind of a cousin of of flexibility in a way is is equanimity and and for um, for uh, listeners of the podcast, uh, you can refer to episode nine, the practical benefits of meditation uh, episode five apps we couldn 't live without we talk a little bit about meditation in that, and number twenty six strategies. For calm and and that's what I love about uh, your book so much is it, it it covers a lot of honestly simple little tweaks that we can make uh, to to our mindsets to our habits every single day in order to uh, become a bit better at, at getting a bit calmer and and treating ourselves honestly with with kindness. There was one uh, quote. That you know, I I write about productivity and and self development, and and there is one quote in the book that I, I honestly love because I think it cuts to the to the core of a lot of challenges that we see. Um, when, when we strive to become better or become more productive. And, and I'll, the, the quote from the book that you write is, uh, quote, self-improvement Im- is a never-ending task that leads to a kind of inner imprisonment, um, and, and, and quote. And, and I love this idea because it kind of speaks to this idea of self-kindness where, of course, we all want to become a bit better at the things that we do. Uh, but we have this tendency at the same time to not necessarily treat ourselves with kindness during a time like this. How, how can we be a bit kinder to ourselves when we become better when we become a bit calmer?
1: Well, I love that you you referred to to simple tweaks because I, I really I really believe that being really mentally healthy is not a mystery and it's not difficult mm-hmm. or hard for people to achieve. So I really like to try to provide people with, with really kind of simple, straightforward things that they can do and, and self-acceptance or self-kindness or self-compassion is probably one of the most simple and yet most powerful things people can do for themselves. So one, one thing that, and, and the, the, the quote that you referenced is really, it's really comparing this striving for self-improvement versus uh, just an acceptance of yourself wherever mm. you are, knowing that you can still improve or, or, you know, seek to get better, but it's not done out of this sense of being driven or, or be having to be rigid about things. Yeah. So I really see rigidity in almost any way as an enemy of joy or an enemy of calm. It, it's that, mm. that feeling like I've got to do things just a certain way or I've got to achieve this particular goal or what whatever it is. If you can approach your, your life, whether it's work, relationships, self-care, if you can approach it with a greater degree of flexibility, not having to be rigid, but still working you know hard, trying to do things well, um, I, and then you can you can accept yourself wherever you are in that process. It gives you a a place of real power to move from. Mm. Um, if you can fully accept where you are right here right now it it really does allow you to to see things more clearly and make decisions, you know, just with a greater degree of clarity and
0: openness. Yeah. And this is something that I, I feel a lot of people are struggling with now because it's harder than ever uh, during a time like this to invest in ourselves, to think about productivity when the news is just a tab away. Like, How do we accept the fact that we're not as productive right now or that we can't focus on, on our goals?
1: Well, you know, I, I see this um, this time as almost like a personal retreat. Now, mm. I, having said that, I am fully aware that, that there are a lot of people who have simply lost their livelihoods and yeah. and it's pretty hard to see it as a sabbatical or a retreat. But, but yet, you know, it, it is possible to, to view it that way, that this is a break from life as usual, whether it was desired or not, it, it is just a fact, and and that time mm. can be used for however we choose to use it. And so I've I've been choosing to to kind of relish this um, enforced slowing down, mm. and, um, connecting with my wife, for example, who I'm with <laughs> almost all the time. Yeah. No, but, but the, you know, the she must be walk.
0: sick of you by now.
1: <laughs> well, I think there is something, something to that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, we've actually really enjoyed this this time, it's kind of free of distractions, and um, life has just been simplified so dramatically here, in ways that I'm I'm kind of relishing. Um, you know, so I, I take a walk every morning uh, right after breakfast, and I'm really enjoying that time. And and I'm just kind of trying to fall into these routines and and accept that right now this is my life. It's not that flashy or or, um, exciting, but at the same time, I am experiencing a deeper sense of pleasure from things that I often don't pay any attention
0: to. Mm. Yeah, that's really nice. It's uh, Yeah, I guess there's multiple... Angles that that we can look at this from, you know, the 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 kind of natural threatening angle. As as you say, we uh, we we tend to look at the threats around us instead of the opportunities around us. So that simple shift, especially with the against the backdrop of flexibility, is it's kind of nice. It's kind of refreshing to hear, uh, you know, in, in a world that only seems to care about the threat.
1: You know, I, I I think it's really worth learning f- something from nature about how to live, and um, you know, in nature there are these fallow times. There are times where it looks like nothing is happening, and yet the soil, the earth, uh, the creatures are kind of renewing their strength, so to speak. Hmm. They're they're um, kind of going inward or or downward, and it's it's a it's a fallow time, but that doesn't mean there's nothing happening. There's, there's a lot of kind of re, regrouping or regeneration. I'm also uh, really impressed with how quickly the natural world seems to be rebounding or responding to the, the, the slowing down of human activity. Um, and again, I think it's a lesson for us that being always active, always moving, always growing is not natural. That's not what nature does. And, mm. and taking a break from that once in a while might turn out to be a really good thing.
0: Mm. Maybe it's something we all need.
1: I think it might be. You know, mm. maybe something for us to remember. I think you know, for many people who who come from a religious tradition, there's there's this um, importance of taking the Sabbath and a Sabbath, having a not just a break from life, but a chance to turn inward and and kind of remind ourselves of what is really important.
0: Yeah. What What an awesome place I did, to, to end things. But I, I do have one uh, extra question <laughs> for you, because there's just so much in the book. Um, but I feel there's one other idea that people need to hear uh, in addition to the self-kindness, in addition uh, to the meditation, to the mindset of Uh, Of flexibility. And that's surrounding, and and this is something that uh, I have some personal experience with uh, in terms of struggling with this one aspect, and that's caffeine. Uh, So uh, at the beginning of of the the previous year of of 2019, I noticed myself getting uh, honestly quite dizzy at times, and I didn't know what was causing it at at first, but I realized that the dizziness often came after I had coffee in the morning, after I I had maybe two or three cups of coffee in the morning. And it, it took me a while to realize that what I was suffering from was honestly anxiety um, that, that the caffeine and work and the confluence of other factors uh, were inducing. And you write a bit about caffeine in the book, and I'll, I'll quote uh, for the benefit of, of uh, people who haven't yet read The Chemistry of Calm, which I highly recommend, but you write a bit about caffeine, quote, uh, if you are suffering from anxiety or insomnia or simply going through a period of stress, you should eliminate stimulants. That means coffee, caffeinated tea, and most soft drinks. You say later in the book, quote, uh, Caffeine is a toxin for most people. Uh, It it can be harmful when your brain is overactive. uh, Until your symptoms resolve, eliminate it, or at least limit yourself to one or two beverages per day, end quote. Uh, what is it about caffeine? You know, it's it's the chemistry of calm. So maybe digging into the, the chemicals that caffeine affects, what is it about caffeine that makes it so anxiety-inducing?
1: Well, caffeine is chemically very closely related to prescription stimulants like um you know, Adderall, amphetamines, meth- mm. methamphetamines. It's, it's a, it is a stimulant. It works through that same chemical system, which is uh, the, the brain chemicals called norepinephrine. Mm. And norepinephrine. Adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> so norepinephrine is the brain's version of epinephrine, which also goes by the name of adrenaline. So if you think about what the body does under stress, when adrenaline shoots up, that's really pretty close to what caffeine does for us. It mm. it makes us more alert, more vigilant, um, possibly um, you know be- better able to pay attention to things. It gives us a little bit of a sense of power that can be a good thing under certain circumstances. Yeah. But if your body is already in that heightened state where you're you're already stressed and vigilant and maybe over-focused, it's a little bit like adding fuel to the fire. Mm. So I uh, actually did a podcast recently where we were talking about how so many people are feeling tired and sluggish right now, yeah. uh, myself included. And so <laughs> currently I am drinking caffeine. <laughs> 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 I am having coffee at least every morning and often a cup of, of good strong tea in the afternoon, but I'm not having any problem sleeping, believe me. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not feeling, you know, overly stressed or what have you. So, yeah. you know, I know that the caffeine itself is a bad thing that you have to avoid it all the time. But certainly, if you're having trouble sleeping, uh, if you're feeling really anxious, restless, stressed, you ought to consider gradually cutting back the amount of caffeine you drink until either you're off of it or those, those kind of symptoms disappear.
0: Yeah. It's one of those substances where everybody reacts differently. You know, I've, I have friends who can have they're the they're the uh, the espresso after dinner type, uh, so they'll have two or three espressos after dinner when we used to go to restaurants, and <laughs> um, and to- sleep totally fine and, and text me at six a.m. the next morning, and then there are people like me. Who uh, who would have half an espresso and then would be up until four a.m. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's um yeah it's so like it's that flexibility again, you know, take what works for you and leave the rest. But uh, I, I would highly recommend uh, that anybody listening to this. This is just a sampling of of what's in the book. It's you know the chemistry of calm. It's tactical. It's practical, and it's also it's also a, a reminder that there are ways to find calm regardless of our circumstances. So. Um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I think people will find uh, this quite helpful.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: The book is The Chemistry of Calm. So finishing up, becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode. I hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you in a couple Tuesdays.